0: I'm Georgina Donahue. I am the director of community for Pragmatic's alumni community. Uh, Our community includes tens of thousands of really passionate and incredibly generous product folks who all work together to solve hands-on problems. Uh, And the way that that community has really come together in such a gorgeous way is that when you train with Pragmatic, you, of course, uh, get our best-in-class instruction. But you also become a member of our community and you gain access to an online network of peers, weekly instructor office hours, cohort learning programs, peer workshops, and of course, awesome presentations with industry experts like the one that we are about to dive into. So really excited to have you join us all here uh, on this community-driven product chat. All right, let's dive right into it because I'm really excited for you guys to meet Lisa. Lisa Boyvin is an incredibly experienced product manager who specializes in agile workflows and methodologies. She works both with the entertainment and the healthcare industries, and she's got a proven track record for leading really successful cross-functional Agile teams. Uh, And she's got a knack for pairing and partnering with development, as well as key stakeholders to get everything across the line. Uh, So we're delighted to have her here with us today. We're really lucky to have snagged some of her time. I'm going to pass the reins right over. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Dr. happy to be here. Um, Should I go ahead and move to the next slide here for the, the group? Yeah, you can go right through there. Alrighty. Um, so I was gonna say good morning, but I saw that there are folks from all over the world joining us. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Um, really excited to be here today. Um, before we get started, I just wanted to introduce myself here for the group and tell you a little bit about myself. Um, so, like Georgina mentioned, my name is Lisa Boyvan. I currently work as a product manager at Paramount Plus. Uh, currently, my focus is on our content discovery pod. So. Think you know homepage, uh, you know anything relating to understanding your watch history and you know uh, suggesting new content to you that's well within your um, interests. Uh, previously, I did work on live and video. Um, so anyone here who's a Paramount Plus subscriber, uh, you'll know that we do have a live aspect to the app where you can watch the Grammys live or NFL games. Um, so previously worked on that part as well. Um, like Georgina mentioned, I have a general background in the entertainment industry. Um, previously, I did work at Disney Parks on the Disneyland mobile app. So any folks who have visited California and have gone to Disneyland, um, you know, definitely use their mobile app. Uh, that's something I've touched in the past and we've done some great work there. Um, I'm also UCLA alumni. Uh, go Bruins for any alumni here on the call. Um, I am a safe practitioner and I'm also Cpo certified. Um, Outside of uh, my role as a product manager, I'm also an avid runner, um, love running marathons, I am also a gamer, and I love to travel, so looking forward to having travel open back up um, as we get closer to the summer. So I put together an agenda here for the group today, um, just to kind of walk you through how the presentation is going to go. I'm going to be starting off telling you a little bit about Paramount+. Plus. Um, I'm going to give an overview, a general overview of Agile um, and talk a bit about its benefits in today's marketplace. And then I'm going to go into a case study I put together, um, how we leveraged Agile methodologies to bring a feature to market. Um, and going to really be touching on like benchmarks of success we established, um, some nebulous timelines we worked with, and then how we were able to do all that while preserving our roadmap. So a little bit about Paramount Plus. Um, we launched last year, March 4, 2020, 2021. I am um, calling that out because I think part of what is important to remember in today's presentation is that we're a very young company in the streaming space, um, probably one of the youngest. Uh, we're actually coming up on our year anniversary. Um, we're going to be dropping Halo soon. So you know, it's a great time to subscribe to Paramount Plus. We've got some great content coming your way um some of our competitors i'm sure you're all familiar with we've got netflix hulu disney plus list goes on and on um we have some affiliates that we work with uh, on paramount plus you'll find their content across our app some key ones mtv nickelodeon comedy central so on and so forth um something that's unique about paramount plus that differentiates us a little bit from some of the streamers in today's space is we don't just offer video on demand shows and movies. We also offer a live entertainment section. So um, fun little fun fact for you about Paramount Plus, but um, we have a, a base that skews a little more mail because of our live um, offerings. So just think NFL season that just passed. Uh, we had a lot of folks tuning in and we spent a lot of our time offering that, uh, really trying to optimize that experience for our users. And then of course, news. Alright, so going to spend a little bit of time talking about Agile. I'm sure many of you are familiar, but I'd like to just give a brief overview for any folks here on the call who are new to the Agile process. So, um, you know, there's two main project management methodologies today there's Agile and there's Waterfall. And if you were to Google, you know, what's the difference between Agile and Waterfall, this is the uh, definition you get back so I'm going to read it really quick and then I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, that definition here. So. Um, Agile and Waterfall are two popular methods for organizing projects. Waterfall is a more traditional based approach in project management involves a more linear flow. Agile on the other hand, which we're talking about today embraces a more iterative process. Um, Waterfall tends to be best for projects with concrete timelines and well-defined deliverables. So, um, you know, we can gather from that, that if Agile is kind of a offset of what Waterfall is, um, it is a really valuable um, process to work with, Nebulous timelines, which we called out earlier, and then, you know, uh, I don't want to say ill-defined deliverables, but deliverables maybe that have yet to be defined. Um, so there's a couple benefits to uh, agile, in my opinion, over waterfall. Um, so one of the uh, one of the key benefits, in my opinion, is it is very useful for delivering um, superior quality products. So what I mean by that is that. When in an agile environment, when you release a product to market, you're not done. You continue to iterate and optimize from there. And I think that helps to preserve the um, quality of the product itself. And I think that in and of itself is a huge benefit of agile. Um, Because of the nature of our processes, it allows teams to have better control. Um, So meaning that you can make uh, trade-offs as you're um, working through developing product that can help you know, control timelines, it can control scope, stakeholder expectations, so on and so forth. Um, through this comes more flexibility, gives the um, ability for continuous improvement. Um, customer satisfaction tends to be higher with teams who practice agile methodology, simply because you know once you release to market, you're, you're really learning from the product itself and continuing to optimize from there. Um, And then I think that this is an understated benefit, but a huge one, especially as a product manager, but it improves team morale. Um, So any, you know, any good product manager understands that, yes, absolutely customer satisfaction is important, but you need a team who's the muscle to bring that product to market to make our customers satisfied and Team morale is just absolutely critical in developing quality products. They have to believe in the product themselves and and feel that their work is being recognized and you know tangible and seeing it in the marketplace itself. So I think agile, um, there's a lot of benefits to that just for a team morale um, for a team morale benefit. Um, so for today, I'm going to be talking about SharePlay, which is a feature that we released back in October October 25th of 2021. Um, It's going to be our case study today for understanding how to apply um, agile methodologies to bringing features to market. Um, So there might be some folks on this call who are familiar with Agile, um, especially if you're an Apple user, but I'm just gonna give a brief overview before we go into the case study. Um, So SharePlay right now is a feature that was released with the iOS and tvOS 15.1 release back in October. Um, So the idea of how SharePlay will work, works and you can use it today is you get on a FaceTime call with someone, um, you navigate over to Paramount Plus or any of the other um, uh apps that work with SharePlay um and you initiate a session. So you have the ability to watch a movie, a TV show together. Um, you guys can control the, the video controls together um, while remaining on the FaceTime call. A um, cool thing about this is it's not just iPhone to iPhone. You could also airplay it to your Apple TV or, or initiate a session from there. So you can truly have that group watch experience um, outside of just mobile to mobile. Um, All right, so like mentioned in some of the collateral you might've seen for this presentation, um, agile really begins when a market problem has been identified. Um, So the market problem that I'm gonna be talking about today is the big one, I think we're all aware of it, but COVID. Um, I think for the past two years, a lot of us have been quarantined, Um, especially during the last two years, travel restrictions have been applied and um, particularly during holidays. so around this time, um, I think generally we all know that streaming numbers really shot up. Um, it was a really beneficial time for streaming companies because, you know, they had to step in and provide entertainment and a way for folks to stay sane while they're all quarantined at home. Um, but you know, during this time, we noticed that competitors have come out with their own group watch feature, and like I like I noted before, Paramount Plus is one of the youngest streaming apps in the market. So. I'm calling that out because in an agile environment, um, I like to kind of say that if you're truly agile, you have the ability to be scrappy. And I think with young companies or companies that are still kind of finding their footing, um, agile environments tend to be uh, super beneficial to helping them get off Get off the ground and delivering quality products while, you know, having to make some of those trade-offs that go to being a bit scrappier. Um, so, you know, around this time where the, the app just launched, um, we had a lot of priorities sitting at the forefront of our roadmap, and you know, we're aware that everyone's quarantined at home. There's travel restrictions in place, and so we of course had the hypothesis that you know families can't see each other during the holidays. For instance, wouldn't it be great if something like a group watch feature was created so that they can enjoy, you know, some of the Christmas specials we are coming out with, or, you know, some sort of way for them to feel like they're together, even if they physically cannot travel to see each other. Um, But with something like this, especially being at such a young company, there's, a cost that comes with putting together a proof of concept, and like I mentioned, um, you know, for such a young company and with competitors in the space who've been around for a while, like Netflix, um, we have to really think through how we want to prioritize our roadmaps because, you know, we're working on features that customers who our avid streamers might be familiar with, and then we're working on new features. And you know, we have to be very intentional about how we wanna apply our time, energy, and resources. So this has been something that we had thought about for a while. Um, we were interested in at some point doing our own proof of concept, but um, at the time that SharePlay came into the picture, um, we had not yet been able to move on it. So I always like to say with every problem comes an opportunity. So, you know, of course, the problem being that everyone's quarantined at home, Um, our problem being that we have to be more intentional about how we want to apply those time, energy and resources. Um, And that all that coupled with the fact that we're partnered up with Apple because Paramount Plus is on all Apple devices, along with many other platforms. Um, So during this time around, I would say March, like right when the app launched, Apple, our partners at Apple, did come to us and flag that they were going to be releasing a an API which we could leverage to create a group watch functionality through their FaceTime calls. Um, so we saw an opportunity here because initially we had not yet prioritized putting together a proof of concept for uh, a group watch feature because of all the reasons I had listed. Um, but what really happened here was an opportunity presenting itself for us to understand how much of a need and how users would interact with the group watch feature on Paramount Plus before we have to really take time to you know, put together the cost estimates, the resources, the timelines, the trying to slate it into the roadmap. We really saw an opportunity here to get back some key metrics that will tell us some of the things we didn't know that would have shaped how we would have approached our own group watch feature. Um, so what I'm going to be going, what I'm going to be doing next is I'm going to be walking the group here, um, step-by-step step for generally how, um, in a perfect world, an agile process would work. Um, I am going to note, of course, though, that the key to agile is to be flexible. So sometimes, yes, you have a step-by-step step of how a perfect agile workflow will work, but... You have to make um, trade-offs along the way. Sometimes you have to do things a little bit differently. And the point of that, and the point of an agile methodology and adopting those practices, is that it should be easy for you to do so—to to work with the information that you have in front of you, and to understand what are the best next steps you need to take. And you know, maybe you have to do things a little bit out of order than like what is the standardized step by step. But for today, um, I will be doing my best to keep it. Um, you know, as like methodical as possible to the agile workflow. Um, So first and foremost, uh, we had step one. So step one and identifying the market problem tend to go hand in hand, at least for us in this scenario, it did. Um, So around this time, our partners at Apple came to us, let us know that they were gonna be releasing um, something of a SharePlay feature. Um, And something that I'd love to call out for the group here, and this goes to nebulous timelines, is if anyone understands how Apple works, it's that they really are very conservative about information they share out. So, um, you know, their own employees sometimes don't even know that Apple's releasing something until maybe two days before. Um, And so that puts us as their partners in a really interesting position because when they come to us and they tell us that, you know, we can partner up with them to create this group watch feature. Um, they're not giving us any firm timeline of when we're expected to have this done. Um, not to mention the fact that at the time that we got this, it was around midsummer, like close to midsummer. Um, and the only information we had to work off of timeline wise was that the feature was going to be released sometime right before the holiday. So we were thinking Thanksgiving. So what we had to do in a situation like this is we had to guesstimate when we realistically thought this would re- this would release, and we had to put together a couple different contingency plans of like, all right, if it doesn't release around t- this timeline, like, what do we expect? Um, you know, how will we scope this in the most conservative timeline possible? So we landed on around the end of September, beginning of October timeline, and that's really what we started to work off of as we started to put together um, planning. So at this point in time, um, we had not yet gotten sign off from our stakeholders. And um, it's worth noting as well that we were in the middle of our PI in the middle of the quarter when we got this information. So my team that I worked on already had its commitments. So what do you do in that situation? I mean, you know, you already have a release schedule of how the quarter is supposed to look the features that you're supposed to be working on, so on and so forth. Um, and you really have to figure out how are you going to be scrappy and adjust to this new information or this new opportunity. Um, So what we had to do next was um, get division sign-off and this this all goes to step two roadmap updates, but we had to work with division sign-off. So what that looked like, at least on our end in product is we had to put together a Persuasive argument as to why we needed to jump on this opportunity now and why we felt that despite this not being best practice, we had to make adjustments to the roadmap and um, push some timelines of some other committed features out. Um, So we What really helped us in making that argument and getting division sign-off on this was explaining the value in what creating a feature like this would give us. It would give us the insights into understanding how much of a need there is behind this group watch feature and um, you know it would help us understand our user behavior a lot better and um, hopefully in the future deliver better quality product to enhance on that experience. So um, lucky for us, the division felt pretty aligned with the argument we made, so we got division sign-off. And again, in an agile environment, there's a lot of different ceremonies um, throughout the week that you can leverage for that. So I call that out because in a waterfall, uh, typically in a waterfall environment, there's less of a cadence between um, regular occurring meetings. So because we have daily ceremonies and weekly ceremonies in in an agile environment, we were able to get in front of the necessary stakeholders to get that sign off a lot sooner than we would have in a waterfall environment. Um, So what we needed to do next after we got division sign off is we needed to figure out what to do with the rest of our commitments for our quarter. And we of course needed team alignment. Like I said earlier in this presentation, team morale is so important to getting things to market quickly, effectively, and um, you know, making good, quality product in general. So um, we have this term internally at Paramount Plus. um, I'm sure many of you might've heard it, but we call it horse trading. Uh, So what that looked like for us. And again, keep in mind, we had to stay scrappy in a situation like this. Um, We had to trade favors with some of the other teams. So what that really looked like is some of the other teams helped us out during this time so that we could prioritize share play and um, dedicate the rest of our quarter and the following quarter to Um, creating this feature. And they took some of our uh, features off of our plate and helped us out by getting that to market still in a timely manner. And then with some of the other features, we just um, ultimately made the call that this was worth pushing them off a little bit more for. Um, But there was a lot of uh, favor trading going on. But I personally think that's, that's kind of fun sometimes in an agile environment. Um, And then once we had division sign off, once we had the team aligned and excited about working on this, everyone was really pumped to see what we would bring. Um, We had to put together a critical path. Um, So what I mean by that is to get a feature, the key in an agile environment is to get a feature to market. Um, It does not have to be perfect. And that's a huge difference between a waterfall and agile environment because in waterfall, you're really prioritizing getting the feature out meeting every single requirement and that isn't to say you shouldn't do that in an agile environment you absolutely should but the key is to get something to market first um and then from there you can learn from how users are interacting with it and you can continue to iterate on it so i think long term that has more value because it's everything you develop is more catered to the actual user experience versus what your hypothesis states um, so we put together a critical path to review um we had to make a you know, we had to put together a very scoped down version of MVP, um, especially because we had to get it out. in at that point in time, like four months, which is a very, very tight timeline in the world of development. Um, all right, so we did all of that. Um, step three, so we've got release planning and sprint planning. So we've got to sign off, we have MVP of what this feature looks like. So what I had to do next is I had to work with PMO to, um, start filling out what we think each sprint was gonna be um, comprised of. So really quickly for the group here, um, this is a picture of, oops, skipped right ahead. This is a picture of a JIRA backlog. Um, This is not actually a Paramount Plus JIRA backlog. I pulled this from Google. I hope you can all understand, I can't actually Show you what our backlogs look like right now, but um, you know at Paramount Plus when we're filling out our sprints and we're forecasting, you know how much work is going to go into each sprint as we get closer to each timeline. This is generally what we're looking at, and over here we've got the epics at the top of the uh, list here with SharePlay that remained at the top for about a quarter and a half, um, and then yeah we filled out, we started to create um, shells of tickets of work we anticipated was going to come and the general sequence of events of how we thought this would um unfold uh, i call this predictive planning um because again working with apple and understanding generally how their timelines work we're putting together a best case scenario um, of what the timeline we think it would be and how much time we realistically have to work with and then from there that's affecting the scope that we put together the scope then affects like how we're doing release and sprint planning and it's really a Step by step. But again, unlike waterfall and an agile environment, any of this can stand to change. In fact, we expect it to as we continue to develop and go along the way. So, um, you know, we're not tied to the plan we initially put together. We can definitely be flexible and make trade offs as we um, move along our timelines. So, step four like I mentioned earlier in this presentation. In an agile environment, you have regular ceremonies that you're taking advantage of. And the big one for us was daily stand-ups. So there is a lot of interesting uh, stories I could tell you about our daily stand-ups because in the beginning, um, a lot of our work with developing this feature had to do with just understanding like implementation, what our limitations were with the API we were working with, so on and so forth. Um, And daily standups helped us understand what was a more feasible scope for us and what MVP was ultimately gonna end up looking like. Um, So some of the key benefits of daily standups is you find out blockers in real time. Oh, actually, let me, back up for a second. So for anyone here who's not familiar with daily standups, the general um, cadence of how these go is you get on a call with your team. Everyone talks about what they're working on that day, what they plan on working on next, and then any blockers or issues that they've run into. And so there's a lot of value in that because you can actually find out issues in real time and respond accordingly, versus finding out on a weekly basis. And in the world of development, so much changes on a day-by-day basis that this allowed us to stay nimble. And um, I don't like to say we were reactive, but it actually allowed us to be more proactive and getting ahead of some of the issues we saw coming down the pipeline. so one of the big things that came out of our daily stand that affected how we put together scope was understanding that there was some limitations around providing this experience for our live content. Um, so What I mean by that is our initial hope for SharePlay was that we could create a group watch experience for shows and movies, but also for lives. So think, you know, getting on a call with your friends and watching the Grammys together, or getting on a call and watching the Super Bowl together and streaming it from the Paramount Plus app. Um, The reason, but we found out pretty quickly that we actually had to scope this out um, because as our developers started looking into this and creating implementation plans, we found that there's a lot of legalities and it would be a a very heavy lift that would have blown our scope up just to try to make that possible on the live experience side so think you know what happens if someone in new york tries to stream a local game with someone in los angeles there's there's a lot of um test cases that came out of that and it it just we ultimately found that we wouldn't be able to deliver in the timeline necessary um if we were to try to scope that in but the benefit of working in an agile environment is it doesn't mean that that's going to be out forever. Um, we know that's something we want to do in the future, so it's really just a matter of, um, you know, more of a long-term planning process. Right now we're just focused on the MVP, so ultimately we ended up just choosing to deliver share play for a video-on-demand experience. Um, and then the other valuable, um, the valuable takeaway from daily stand-ups in an agile environment is it give it makes product managers more effective at communicating with their stakeholders. So you know anytime you make a scope change or something might change in the budget or the timeline, um, your stakeholders need to know that. And in a big in a big company like paramount, um, our stakeholders can be rather difficult to get a hold of at times. And so coming out of these daily stand-ups, we understood, you know, what we needed to communicate back to stakeholders and we could leverage some of the other more regular standing ceremonies to get that communication out versus having to rely on a monthly, weekly basis. And so um, very valuable because it didn't just keep our internal team aligned, it kept the entire division aligned as we continued to develop along the way. All right. So this one's always a fun one. Um, and it's really the next step in any agile process. So we work off a six sprint timeline here at Paramount Plus, And at the end, and each sprint is about two weeks. So how that works for us is that we put together two weeks worth of work. And at the end of each sprint, we get into um, A zoom room or you know when we go back to office an actual room and we have what we call a retrospective so i included a chart here of what that generally looks like at least over zoom Um, and in a retrospective you're supposed you go over a few things a, you go over what went well. Um, this is super valuable because you can really deliver positive reinforcement and continue um, the behavior of certain things that are working really well for the team. Um, you can also cover what could have gone better. So, you know, coupling that with what went well, I think sometimes softens necessary constructive criticism we might need to deliver to the team. And for any product managers here, uh, you all might know that that criticism tends to come to you at times, just, but it's all meant in the spirit of helping you work with your team better and um, try to get things out the door quicker. Uh, we have an idea part of this, what would we try next? Um, and then what questions we have. And so what was beneficial out of our retrospectives and something that helped me personally as a product manager be more effective um, was that because this was such a new feature and this is really where the brunt of my focus was, Um, I found very quickly that our QA teams would need to get up to speed um, quickly in order to start testing and creating test cases for this new feature that, you know, we we historically have not had. And so what that meant is that I started to host uh, hour long daily sessions with our QA teams where I would get them a build, usually a build where we knew there was bugs. um, And I would start walking them through how the feature would work and I would get on it. I would test certain things with them. Questions would come in real time, which saved us a lot of time because um, the way this typically works is when QA is testing, um, we tend to get tickets. And then from there, the product manager has to assess whether the tickets are valid or if the behavior is as intended. The fact that I could get ahead of that before tickets were even created on a, daily call saved our team so much time. And um, again, I think kept morale high because when we start having bugs coming in and and confusion generally about how a feature might need to work or trade-offs we might need to make, um, frustration settles in and um, morale takes a hit. So I think it it kept the team pretty aligned as we went and helped me as a product manager become more effective. Um, All right. So step six, uh, we released this to market. So um, we released MVP ultimately on October 25th. So it was a little bit um, pushed out from our initial timeline. But like I mentioned, when you're putting together these timelines, um, you're kind of creating uh, mitigation plans in the event that maybe this happens or that happens. Um, And so One of the plans we had put together was that if we didn't release in the most conservative timeline that we estimated we would need this feature by, what else could we pull in for MVP? So um, we got to pull in some additional um, things that we really wanted that we felt would enhance the experience. Um, One of the big ones would be kid to adult profile um, share play. Um, And we felt that this was important because we had a hypothesis that families might want to get on a call together and um, have a family movie session, especially because the movie theaters were closed. So um, that extra two weeks really helped us deliver a better MVP to market. Um, Like I've mentioned, Agile allows us to continually improve on a feature. So we release on October 25th, but we're months out from when we initially released that. And we've been able to continually iterate on the experience um, you know, we've been watching in market how customers are interacting with it, maybe pain points in the experience of trying to invite people to a group watch session or um, initiating one altogether. And we've been able to make improvements from there to really preserve the quality, not just preserve the quality of the product, but really um, enhance it. So um, today we're looking at how SharePlay works in market and. We're making determinations about how that's going to influence our roadmap in the future. And um, we had some really interesting learnings and takeaways from the future as a whole. So, um, you know, while I can't speak today of to what's coming next on our roadmap, um, one of the biggest values we've gotten out of this was insight into what our priorities are going to look like in the future and where we're going to want to spend our time, um, our focus and our energy. So, and of course, you know, our costs, because that is something that comes with um, every development, every feature that we develop on. Um, So today, uh, if you were to share play, um, this is what MVP looks like for the group here, if you're interested at all. Um, You need to be on the latest OS version, at least 15.1 or higher. On the Paramount Plus side, you need to be a commercial free subscriber. So that was one of the trade-offs we had to make as we started developing is that, you know, what would happen if one of our commercial, one of our tiers that involves commercials, share plays with a commercial free user. um, And because that opened up so many different avenues of test cases and um, things we would have to develop and protect against, it was ultimately something we had to scope out, but definitely something we might be interested in, including in the future. Um, but today it's commercial free to commercial free. Um, and the users also need to be on a FaceTime call first. So we're still partnered with Apple through this, but um, this has really helped us understand how we, how we might want to um, make our own group watch feature in the future or continue to iterate on the current share play experience or introduce something like that through our other non-iOS platforms. So um, Huge benefit in being able to deliver this to market, and it's not just for customer satisfaction, but it's also internally as an org as well, and helping us to remain competitive in a very competitive space. I know that's redundant to say, and um, you know, I think one of one of the other big benefits of agile is because you can continually improve on something, and the key is to get something to market as quick as possible. Um, it helps companies stay competitive because the longer you take to deliver something to market, the more likely it is that circumstances are going to change and it could be a lost opportunity. So um, we've really been able to save a lot of time and and learn from this. Um, All right. So I put together some recap and takeaways from the group here. Um, So I wanted to take it back really quick to the benefits of Agile. I know I've Said it throughout the presentation but some of the big ones here is that it allows you to make changes to project scope as you continue to work through it that's really important again for releasing something to market quickly um, it keeps team morale high it allows you to stay flexible and if you're flexible you can stay competitive um, and i think ultimately it allows us to l- deliver higher quality product because we can continually iterate on what we deliver Um, In an agile methodology, you can also implement predictive planning. So because you start to understand how user behavior generally works, um, you can start to plan around um, your understanding of how your user base works and how your competitors work, and you can make adjustments along the way. And in today's technological landscape, I mean, things change on a day-to-day basis that the ability to stay nimble and and predict how things might work in the future, um, I think really allow you to be more effective product managers. And then we also have, uh, the other benefit of agile is iterative models. So, um, like I mentioned, you can continue to iterate on features. So once you get something to market, you're by no means done. Um, I think that's the difference between agile and waterfall is that the goal with waterfall is you want to deliver a project and you want to call it done with agile. You're never done, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, you just get, you end up getting busier and busier. It's that you start to understand how you want to iterate and how you want to enhance the customer experience and deliver that quality product. And then that all goes to continuous improvement.
0: That was fantastic, Lisa. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I know that there's already a number of comments uh, about people saying that they did as well. Uh, Folks on the line, now is a good time to ask your questions uh, to Lisa and pop those in the Q&A box. While you are typing those out, I am happy to share a little bit more about our next conversation. Uh, We are going to be focused on human-centered innovation, using design as a strategic advantage. Uh, it's on March 24th, uh, 1 pm as always, uh, and we're really excited to talk to Harsh Warden and Propty Ja. Uh, they are uh, solutions designers at Google's and at Google uh, and a design strategist at Ford respectively. Uh, and the conversation is really going to be focused on how using human human-centered innovation uh, can elevate your strategies and business models, marketing retention uh, and and more. Uh, So hope that you will join us for that. Uh, We've got a bunch of questions for Lisa that I'm really excited to start chewing through. So I am going to uh, tee some of those up for you now, Lisa. Also, just a quick uh, heads up for folks on the line. Um, This was a really fantastic case study uh, that Lisa shared with us. Um, And as with all case studies, um, some uh, of your questions, um, she's going to be delighted to give you more info around. And some of the questions that I see in the uh, chat already um, are kind of bordering on sensitive information. So uh, if your question doesn't uh, get addressed, uh, you can assume that that is why. So let's see, the first question here that I'm really curious about, Lisa, and I think is a really good conversation, um, is around your request for resources and the decision sign off uh, at the beginning of your project. So can you share a little bit more about how you made the case uh, that this um, deserved the resources and how you kind of documented uh, the need for this sign off?
1: Definitely. So um, some background for the folks here on the call is that, you know, before the SharePoint opportunity presented itself, a group watch feature was something that we were already thinking about on our own. So while we had not yet had the ability to move forward on a proof of concept, we were able to put together estimates of timelines, what that would cost in general resources and um, needless to say, it was it was more than we were willing to take on at that point in time. Keep in mind we were a young company, and there's just other things we had to prioritize first. But um, our stakeholders were all aware, well aware of this, and it was already sitting in the back of our mind. So when this opportunity presented itself, what me and the product team that worked on this um, initially did is we put together um, a compare and contrast uh, case of all right, if we go, if we move forward in the future, and we do our own group watch proof of concept, here's the time, energy, and cost. But if we're able to partner up with Apple and leverage something that, an API that has already been created for us, um, I mean, we, we saved on so much time, energy, and cost. So maybe to add a little more color to that, um, think that with something like a group watch feature, something that we're not iterating on, it's a completely new feature that we would have had to work on, um, that would have definitely taken us way more than four months uh, which was the initial timeline that SharePlay gave us. Um, and so right off the bat, like I think we all know time time is money. Um, so if you're saving time, you're saving money. You're saving money, you're saving energy. Um, and in, in truth, it was a rather easy argument to make because it allowed us to immediately jump ahead to the insights we would have wanted to collect from a proof of concept without having to spend at least half as much as we thought that we would have to spend on all you know time, energy, and resources. Um, the only... The issue that we had at that point in time was that we were in the middle of the PI, so that did require some negotiating with um, different teams just to kind of get their buy-in. But like I mentioned, that really is just where favor-for-favor favor type of conversations came into play, and um, I think that all goes to the spirit of staying scrappy and, and staying agile, and I'm really under, like looking at the bigger picture and understanding how we all need to work together to deliver good product to our users.
0: Uh, there's another question here uh, that I think is related to this conversation, and that's what are the role t- types of your stakeholders? Uh, so who are you having those conversations with? That's an excellent question
1: um, because it is quite a few people. Um, and so I'll, I'll walk you through it. But before I do, I do want you know to let group know that generally in a situation like this, it's not just your state external stakeholders you're working with it's your internal one too remember team morale is really important and you need team buy-in for something like this so internally our stakeholders would be buy-in from our product design team buy-in from our engineers because they you know they're gonna have to really supply the muscle the the, the folks that can help us create this feature um it's buy-in from our um Data science teams because that also disrupts their roadmap and um, you know they they would have to put together tracking specs for us to help us um, understand user behavior so that's just on an internal basis but externally I mean we had to work with of course our executives and um, you know our executives really have a hand in creating our roadmap so they're really some of our key stakeholders but it's also our marketing teams because they need to, some of the things we prioritize for them either had to get pushed off or um, they would have to account for a new feature being delivered to market that maybe they were initially planning a campaign for. Um, It's legal. Legal was also one of our biggest stakeholders. So keep in mind with a new feature like this, there's a lot of unknown and that requires us to have a regular cadence with our legal teams to make sure that, you know, we're, we're uh, biding by all the rules that we need to be mindful of in a streaming space. And especially in today's technological landscape, data privacy, is huge. And so we wanna make sure we're honoring that for our users and our legal team is really, they're the best people to tell us um, you know some of the parameters around that we need to make. And um, sometimes they come in they tell us, no, we can't do certain things or they tell us we can, and we really rely on them for that. Um, and then uh, I would say last is our finance department. Um, like, you know, a feature that we didn't account for does come with its own set of costs. So just making sure that they're in the loop and they're comfortable with um, how we're moving forward, how we're spending, um, where we're pulling resources from. And, um, you know, it's a rather, this was a huge project that we undertook and just about every stakeholder that we tend to work with on any feature um, development was involved. And those are really the key ones that I called out.
0: You know, I think something that you said is so important and we often, uh, forget about uh, is that internal buy-in as well as the external buy-in. There's a lot of focus on kind of big executive teams, uh, but we often forget about the internal buy-in. And it seems like that's resonated with a bunch of folks on the call uh, who are curious about how you pitched that idea to your development team. And at what stage in the process did you communicate the value of the product project and how did you get their buy-in more specifically?
1: Yeah, so I think that looks a little differently depending on who internally you're working with. So I have a two-part answer to that. Um, The most internal team was the team that actually worked on this. Um, And the good news is a feature like this was a really cool feature to work on. Everyone did wanna work on this and it was really easy to show them the value of like, hey, like um, instead of doing this thing we initially planned, do you wanna work on a totally new feature and be a part of the team that delivered this? That's not a hard sell at all, at least not on like the most internal team basis. But um, in a bigger company like Paramount, I work with other product managers, and because we're making adjustments to our roadmap, they're making adjustments to their roadmap. So that is a tougher sell at times because that impacts what they were initially planning. And I think you know something I tell to everyone: being a product manager really is um, a social etiquette game at the end of the day. You really have to go. you have to have good rapport, not just with your own team, but with all the different teams that you interact with. And I think um, there's a lot to be said about just having good relationships and leaning into that when you need, sometimes you need to get uh, things done. And so um, like I mentioned earlier, that did look like favor trading. Um, Some of the other product managers took some things off our plate. They made adjustments to their own timeline just to help us make this um, feasible and Uh, In turn, we've done some favors for them since then, and um, all in all, we've been able to continually deliver um, all the things that all product teams wanted to come across. This didn't happen in this specific specific case, but sometimes we do end up in situations where we're not getting full internal buy-in. And typically, uh, things from there tend to get escalated, but never, never in a negative way, it's just sometimes it has to bubble up to someone who's going to make that final call. And that's typically what happens. It just didn't, luckily it didn't happen in this situation because I think across the board, a lot of our internal teams were pretty interested in seeing what a group watch feature would allow us to do. And, um, you know, everyone stood to learn from this and gain from it in some way, not just my team.
0: A little bit of a pivot here, but I think a topic and a question that we can all relate to around MVPs. So uh, Ben wants to know how you define an MVP, uh, because his company is using that concept as well, but he doesn't like the idea of releasing a minimum viable product, right? Like all product managers, we want to release release a great product. Uh, so how do you, Lisa, make sure that the MVP is going to hit the right marks with the market, even um, if some extra effort is required? And, and how do you parse that out? That's a Great question.
1: Um, because generally speaking, I have found that in product, specifically product managers, we tend to be type A. Uh, So we're just, we're always striving for perfection. And I think one of the hardest parts about being a product manager is understanding that it's more important to deliver something tangible and usable to users before you get it perfect. Um, Letting go of that idea of perfection allows you to stay competitive. So um, I understand that there's a discomfort generally with um, delivering a minimum viable product, but maybe I can put it another way for you to help you understand why there's more value and sometimes scoping something down and not having it be exactly where you want it to be. Um, in the streaming space today, things are changing on a daily basis. If you're spending too much time on trying to get something perfect, by the time you get it to market, it's, it's likely to be irrelevant by that point. And so, yes, you got the perfect product at the end of the day, but you didn't get something that delivers value for your users. And so I guess when I think of minimum viable product, you have to get away from thinking about the product itself and you have to understand the end game and what it is you're looking to achieve. So, um, you know, in the case of SharePlay, uh, definitely. I wanted to deliver that live experience for our users. I wanted them to be able to do so many other things with SharePlay. But if we had actually spent the time to de- to develop all those things, we would have released it way after 15.1 came out. The hype around SharePlay would have died down by then. Um, the goal of this was to get insights from our users and understand how we could make this product more perfect and something that's interesting is that my initial perfect vision of what this group watch feature would look like changed a lot just based off some of those learnings that we got back from customers and that's why agile is so beneficial is because there's so much unknown in delivering a feature to market that if you can understand that just getting something to market and having it be usable from customers even if it's not perfect for you you, there's so much that you'll realize that you didn't account for. and it's a good thing you didn't spend the extra time, money and resources on trying to to get that out because it could end, it could end up being, you know not as valuable as you think.
0: Yeah, and, and you did get that Agile MVP into the market. Uh, and so there's another question here asking about how, how was the adoption for the MVP features and how did you um, really kind of look at the utilization of that MVP to find trends as you prioritized for the next enhancement?
1: Great question. Um, I think this comes, something that comes into play here is, again, understanding specific Apple user behavior. Um, people are slow to adopt the latest OS. So when we initially launched this, it was actually a slower start than we thought, which is normal and expected, but we didn't really start getting true insights until you know, about a month into it when generally people are forced onto the new OS as it is. And then they start to realize there's this feature and they start to learn. And so something that we saw throughout the SharePlay release timeline and the user behavior is, um, For starters, we saw a lot more errors in the beginning. And a big reason for that is because users are learning how to use it. And so that gave us insights on what we can do from a UI standpoint to make it an easier process to learn. So again, going to continual development, we couldn't have guessed that initially. And also worth noting that our early adopters tend to be super technologically savvy. So you see like a huge adoption rate and then it like drops and then people don't really know how to use it. So you really see the story there as you go and you can really like respond to to what you're seeing. Um, Something that I found rather noteworthy in um, SharePlay learnings is we initially made this, um, made SharePlay available for a group watch for both shows and movies, but our most top consumed content tends to be movies. Um, And I found that really interesting because Uh, It really validated that assumption we made about people wanting to go to the movies with their family when they can't actually go to the movies or they can't actually travel with each other. And a lot of the content told us that that was what was going on. So for instance, um, something we released back around that timeline was Paranormal Activity Next to Kin. That's something that would have been in theaters um, and not on our app, but because there was restrictions around the theaters and people going out, it was something that we brought straight into our app. We saw a lot of watch parties coming out of that. So people were going to the movies together over FaceTime, and um, it really helped us, I think, start to think about how we were going to design around that in the future so that we can enhance that experience for users.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of questions here on the topic of timing. Uh, you know, I think that um, I did not know uh, this about Apple that Apple was really kind of close to uh, kept, kept cards close to the vest on when things are going to be released. And I think that um, that's really interesting to folks on the call as well and how you as a as a partner and a product manager adapted to that. Um, so there's a question about how much lead time uh, you had between Apple's API release and the SharePlay release. And if you were able to plan for any kind of testing or development in that time frame.
1: That is a great, that's a great question. Um, So I'll preface with, I won't say it was easy. Um, At times it was deeply frustrating because to us, we're just trying to get an answer and we're not going to get that answer. Um, And so to, I'll get ahead of the question, but then I'll, I'll answer the rest of it. We got about a two days lead time before we found we out that the API was going to drop. But like I mentioned, just understanding how our, our partners work helped us to guess generally when that was going to happen. So like I mentioned, we guesstimated an early October release. So my goal as a product manager is I wanted a product-ready build in the event that we had to turn something around really quickly. So we still met that timeline we initially put together the end of September, October timeframe. And like I mentioned, it ended up being later in the month that that was delivered. So we had a build sitting and ready, waiting, ready to be released. If Apple came to us and said, all right, go. But um, we had the benefit of actually being able to iterate on that build that we had waiting. And um, we just, we, like I said, we work off two week timelines. So by the time we got to the end of the sprint, we had that build optimized and, you know, Apple has conferences and they tend to announce releases. And usually that thing gets released like a day or two later. So we saw one on the calendar. We, we <laughs> made our best guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were right. Uh, the, it got announced there. 15.1 got announced and it was two days before, uh, we knew we would have to release and we had a build ready to go. Um, there was other things we wanted to work on. We knew it wasn't going to meet that build, but that's okay because we were able to get it, um, a little bit down the line and, um, It was, I think it goes to what I said that an agile environment allows you to put together a plan A, plan B, plan C mitigation plans and um, just understanding, all right, if it's not gonna happen by this timeline, like what else can I get in with the additional two weeks and how can we really optimize that MVP so that when we get that green light we can really hit the ground running.
0: Yeah, and so what about, What about, this sounds like really um, thoughtful planning that doesn't hold too tight, right? It was like thoughtful uh, thoughtful intentions, but you gotta go with the flow at the same time. So based on that, how much time did you spend initially focusing on the release and sprint planning, right? Like, cause you don't want to spend too much time thinking about it ahead if you know that things are going to be adjusted down the road. So were there any particular estimation techniques that you used or, um, you know, who was involved from development um, in those estimations?
1: So in the beginning, um, when we initially got this put on our radar, Um, Mm -hmm. While I was spending my time making my case to the division that we needed to really uh, make some adjustments to our roadmap and prioritize it, um, I had one of my lead devs spike on it. So that's an industry term. Um, It basically means that our developers go in and they study something to understand limitations around it and put together a plan of action. They basically create the the development architecture of how that would look like going forward. Me as a product manager, where i come into play is once they have that plan and they've checked it off with some of their other cohorts on the engineering side to make sure it all makes sense um, they work with me to create like shell tickets of work sequential work we would need to to put together and i work with um, our pmo to plug that all into a timeline. Um, and these are very high level tickets. We know that these are not the end game tickets we're gonna be able to move forward with, but it tells us exactly the work we need to do and the order we need to do it in. And that really helps us shape our timelines. Important to note that the timeline we put together when we, when the first time we sat and we planned that out, that was not what happened, um, but it was it was somewhat close to it. And like that's the benefit of like working in an agile work for methodology environment is that, um, you don't need to be married to any kind of timeline, like you can make adjustments as you go. And that's exactly what we did.
0: Awesome. Last question to round us out here. We've been talking a little bit about timeline planning, but I'd like to zoom out with a really great question from Stephanie about how you do road roadmapping. Um, she mentioned that in her organization, her stakeholders really want to see what the entire year will bring. Uh, but with Agile, it almost always contradicts, it, it, it contradicts building the roadmap out that far. Like you said, you don't have to be married to a specific timeline. So how do you justify those things? We meet
1: on the roadmap on a regular basis. So um the roadmap, if you think about it, is a wish list of things you'd like to get and when. And um, you know, it's not like you just do it once a year and then come back to it on a yearly basis, because if things in the technological world are changing on a day-by-day basis, you have to you have to look at the roadmap very frequently because just things change as you continue to go. So, in terms of how we do roadmapping, we basically have a living wish list. And as developments come and Um, You know, we have to make adjustments. The roadmap just moves up. Things move up and down the roadmap. They either come off, they either go on. Um, And how we choose to put things on a roadmap, we have internal scoring models. I can't really say more than that, but we tend to prioritize certain things and add a value point to them. And that really helps us decide what should go first, what's gonna go second, what's gonna go third. Oop, this isn't relevant anymore. Let's just go ahead and take this off. Let's replace it with this. Um, And um, Yeah, I think that really goes to like ceremonies that I mentioned, just utilizing standing ceremonies and understanding that what you're deciding today could very well change tomorrow.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point for us to jump off at. Uh, I know there are a ton of questions here. You guys were so um, wonderfully thoughtful uh, for questions for Lisa. I know we didn't get to all of the questions. Uh, If you are a Pragmatic alumni, I encourage you to come hang out uh, in uh, Pragmatic's alumni community um, and ask these questions there. Uh, You can post these questions and receive answers to them uh, in the community space. Uh, Also, I know a bunch of people are asking about the recording. We are a hundred percent going to be delighted to send you a recording to this one. I'm going to watch it again myself. I really loved this. Um, I also encourage everybody to connect with Lisa. Uh, you can find Lisa, um, on LinkedIn and ask her your questions there as well. Uh, we have really enjoyed having everyone here today and especially, uh, we've really enjoyed having you, Lisa. Thank you so much for the time and knowledge. No, I,
1: I appreciate it. Happy to be here. And, you know, thank you, everyone, for your time. This is fun.
0: Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, that will do it from us today. Uh, hope that you have a great rest of the week and we will see you next time.